historic Golden, Colorado, welcome to the Retirement Well-Crafted Podcast, where we focus on the challenges, strategies, and realities facing those near or in retirement. Join us as we discuss meaningful information and concepts that will empower you to define, plan, and execute the retirement that's right for you. Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Now, here's your host, Dave Sprague. Hello and welcome to episode number five of Retirement Well-Crafted. I'm your host, Dave Sprague, and in today's program, we'll consider a question on Social Security that involves GPO and WEP, and we'll also discuss the fragile decade, and that's the critical 10-year period that can determine whether your retirement plan is successful or not. Today's question touches on one of the more confusing aspects of Social Security, WEP, or the Windfall Elimination Provision, and GPO, or Government Pension Offset. Here are the details from this question. Uh, the, the email was quite long, so I'm going to try to, to uh, divide it up a little bit. The listener is 62 years old, and she's looking into different claiming strategies. She's currently receiving about $5,000 per month from a non-covered pension, which means her employer didn't collect Social Security taxes while she was employed there. And in this case, she worked for a state college. Additionally, through other jobs, she's earned enough credits to claim Social Security benefits, which would be about $1,587 at 67, and if she pushed it back to age 70, that number would be about $2,358. To further complicate her situation, she was married for over 20 years, and they are now divorced. Her ex-husband plans to claim his Social Security next year when he turns 70, And that amount would be about $4,671. So she's asking here what her options are. Okay, so clearly there's a lot to unpack here. So we need to consider first her own worker benefits, then her spousal benefits, and how GPO and WEP might impact what she can and cannot claim. We're going to keep this as high level as possible. So as we work through the details, keep in mind, and this simplifies things a little bit, that GPO applies only to spousal and survivor benefits, and your WEP impacts your own worker benefits. So let's dig into this a bit, and first take a look at her spousal options. She was married for at least 10 years, and she is single, so she is entitled to spousal benefits even though she is divorced. Very simply put, once again, this is very high level, A spousal benefit means that you are able to claim one half of your spouse's PIA PIA or primary insurance amount at his or her full retirement age or FRA. A few things to consider. First, the spouse has to claim before you can claim a spousal benefit. Second, unlike survivor benefits, spousal benefits stop accruing at the FRA of your spouse. In other words, For survival benefits, if your spouse delays until age 70, then you would have a shot at what their uh, benefit was at age 70. For spousal benefits, that stops at 67 or whatever their full retirement age happens to be. Now, in her email, she did not include what uh, the spouse's benefit would be at his FRA. So we're just going to assume that it's going to be around $3,800. 
So before considering any kind of a government pension offset, her maximum spousal benefit is $1,900. Now let's take a look at what impact GPO will have on this number. So back to her email, she tells us that she is receiving $5,000 per month in pension income. Under GPO, she now needs to determine what two-thirds of this number is, which comes to a little over $3,300. Since this number is higher than her spousal benefit would be, she is not eligible to receive a spousal benefit. So to sum it up, when considering GPO, calculate what two-thirds of your pension income is and subtract that number from your spousal benefit. If there is a balance, you're entitled to a spousal benefit. If not, a spousal benefit is not available. Now, we won't go deeper into it here, but keep in mind that we'd go through a similar process when determining survivor benefits as well. Okay, in this specific situation, we've determined that she is not entitled to any spousal benefits, so let's now look at what might be available when claiming on her own record. She mentioned in her email that her PIA, remember her primary insurance amount at full retirement age, will be $1,587. And after delay credits, she'd receive $2,358 at age 70. Now, this indicates that she had what the IRS calls substantial earnings during her non-pension working years. Now, this qualified her for benefits on her own record. You can find a chart describing substantial earnings at ssa.gov and a quick commercial for that website. It's actually one of the better uh, websites, especially a government website that I've seen. So if you haven't spent time on ssa.gov, I recommend you go there. And if, if you have not set up your own account, definitely set up an account. It will drive a lot of good information. It will answer a lot of questions for you. Now, the substantial earnings change every year, but for 2023, that number is $29,700. Basically, what that means is if you're making over that number in that particular year, you have substantial earnings, which qualifies you for uh, Social Security benefits. Also available at ssa.gov is a WEP chart, a windfall elimination provision chart, which shows the maximum amount your benefit will be reduced. Now, keep in mind, there are other calculations to consider, but for this specific example, we'll just use this chart since it applies to this scenario. The next step is to determine your eligibility year, or ELI, and you've got to love all the acronyms. It makes this whole process even more uh, confusing. Your, Your eligibility year is the year you turned 62, and this is going to determine what your maximum reduction under WEP will be. In this case, we're just going to assume she turned 62 in 2023. She just said she was 62, so I don't know if it she turned in 2023 or 2022, but uh, for, for our circumstances today, we're just going to consider 2023. So according to the chart, her maximum reduction under WEP will be $557.50. So how does this all play out? Well, we learned that due to GPO, a spousal benefit is not on the table for her. She did, however, have substantial earnings beyond her pension, and this qualifies her for Social Security benefits. And this is on her own record, not her husband's. This is hers in addition to her pension. 
So in this case, WEP will reduce the benefits by $557.50. So her net benefit at full retirement age is going to be $1,587 minus the WEP offset of $557.50, or she's going to net $1,029.50 at age 67. At age 70, considering that discount of $557.50, she'd receive $1,800.50. And this would be in addition to her $5,000 per month that she's currently receiving in through her pension. So if she waits till 70, her total monthly income before taxes will be about $6,800. As usual, when it comes to Social Security, the most simple question can open up a Pandora's box. So it's important to do your homework and research before claiming. Uh, This was a straightforward question, and there were so many different rabbit holes I could have gone down as far as different ages. Uh, she She could try to claim spousal benefits and the impact of those and the discounts and so on and so forth. But we tried to keep it pretty simple and keep it underneath 10 minutes for answering this question uh, in today's episode. So once again, do your homework, do your research, reach out to a professional if you have questions on Social Security claiming, because in many circumstances, it's one of the few things you can't get back. You can't put that toothpaste back in the tube once you've made the decision. So now on to part two of this episode, which discusses the critical decade. The critical decade or the fragile decade is typically defined as the five years prior to retirement and the five years following retirement. Now, research has shown that up to 80% of your retirement plan success is determined during this phase. In other words, if your plan suffers a significant shock during the fragile decade, the chances of success, however it's defined, can drop significantly. On the other hand, if we get it right, our odds of success increase dramatically. Now, a quick sidebar on what success in retirement means, at least in my opinion, is a successful retirement goes well beyond simply not running out of money. A truly successful retirement is one in which you live the lifestyle you desire, which includes hobbies and travel, gifting, etc., but you remain financially independent. And when possible, you're also able to leave a legacy behind when it's, you know, whether that's for the kids, the grandkids, your church, or whatever you're passionate about. So on to the critical decade. In the past, when doing presentations on this topic, I'd, I'd use a chart from NASA that illustrated the concept of Max-Q. Max-Q is the point during a launch where the rocket reaches its maximum dynamic pressure. It has something to do with uh, the density of the air. And at some point during a launch, the crew actually needs to throttle back and slow down. Now imagine that, you're on your way to the moon or outer space And somebody's telling you, no, 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 you're going to have to pull the power back. That's not going to feel too good. Well, at some point during the launch, they have to throttle back because they'll go too fast given the air density. And if they don't slow down, then the structural integrity of the vehicle can, uh, can suffer dramatically. And obviously, nothing good's going to come of that. But once you're into the upper atmosphere, your density drops significantly enough that they can power back up again and they're on their way. 
Now, if you've listened to any launches, you've probably heard the flight controller telling the crew to throttle back because they're approaching max Q. Well, in retirement, the critical decade is a bit like max Q. Our investments have, up to this point, been built for growth. But as we approach our retirement or our max Q, it's time to throttle back a bit and position ourselves for the next phase of the mission. And unfortunately, we don't have to look too hard to see what kind of damage can be done if we don't throttle back coming into retirement. Many of you may have experienced it, or um, at least you probably know someone that was planning to retire maybe in 2023 or the end of 2022, but was thrown a curveball by the markets of 2022. They didn't throttle back or de-risk, and their portfolios ended up taking a hefty hit in their retirement savings. In many cases, this added significant stress to their portfolio or to the vehicle, if you will, and jeopardized their retirement success. Let's take a, a quick example, and I've used this in other podcasts. Let's say a, a, a couple has a million-dollar portfolio, and they're planning to pull $4,000 or excuse me, $40,000 out each year to supplement their retirement income or a 4% uh, income. Now, if we lost 25% of our value now, we have to make some tough decisions. We either continue to take that $40,000 out and cannibalize our portfolio faster than we had planned, or we choose to reduce our lifestyle by about $10,000. Neither one of those are great options. And it's not only poor market performance that can shock our retirement plans. Almost 60% of retirees are forced into retirement before they had planned on retiring. That can be losing a job or running into health issues, but whatever it is, your hand is forced and 60% of the time, folks are forced into early retirement. Now that doesn't mean it's like a, some of them obviously can be forced in like 10 years prior and such, but most of this happens right at that five years before retirement. You either get fired or you become disabled, whatever it may be, or maybe you have to pivot to help support an older parent. A lot of things beyond your control can happen, and that tends to all start swelling up right at that five-year point. So how can we prepare ourselves for our retirement max Q? The answer is pretty similar to the way that NASA does it. We simply throttle back or de-risk the portfolio as we head into the fragile decade. The first step in doing this, however, is determining your number. We've also discussed this before. We've discussed the needs, wants, and wishes process in earlier episodes. But for our purposes today, let's just assume that your number is the amount of income you need to generate in retirement that allows you to live the lifestyle you're looking for. For example, let's say you're targeting $9,000 a month, and let's further assume that you'll be receiving $5,000 per month through pensions and Social Security income. That means that your investment portfolio needs to generate the remaining $4,000. The next step in this process is to look at our investments and determine if we have enough set aside to reach that goal of $4,000 per month. If so, we should take steps to ensure that we don't lose that ability to generate the needed income when we retire in the next coming, you know, next five years. We do this by de-risking that portion of our investment portfolio. If most of your assets are in 401ks, your de-risking options are somewhat limited. The most popular is to increase your bond exposure as you get closer 
to retirement. If you're in a target date fund or a lifestyle fund, this usually happens automatically, and that can be good or bad. I, I, I think the lifestyle funds have been a blessing and a curse. They're a blessing because they're easy. You put your money in there, and, and they're also called target date funds. And let's say you plan to retire in 2045. Well, most likely your 401k plan is going to offer a 2045 fund. You put your money in there, and what they do as you get closer and closer to retirement, they go into a higher and higher allocation to bonds. I, I, I've said on earlier podcast, and I'm not the biggest fan of bonds in many circumstances, but my point here is just know what's happening inside of that option, inside of that target date fund, and make sure you're aware of what's what's happening and why it's happening so that you can be comfortable that it's accomplishing your goals. You can tweak these a couple of different ways. Let's say you're more conservative than what that fund is. Well, maybe rather than putting in a 2045 fund, you put it into a 2035 fund or a 2040 fund, and all that's going to do is go more conservative uh, earlier. Let's say you're a little bit more aggressive than the 2445 fund, but you don't want to do it yourself. You don't want to make your own allocations. Well, maybe you look at a 2055 fund, and that means basically they are going to continue to stay in equities longer and move into the debt securities or the bonds as it gets closer and closer to uh, 2055. Another option in most of the 401ks is carving out some of your assets and moving them into a stable value fund. Now, the good news about stable value funds is you're pretty much guaranteed not to lose value. The bad news is it's awfully tough to find growth. And when you when you de-risk your assets, you don't want to insulate them from growth you just want to insulate them from losses, and the target date, or excuse me, the stable value funds are great at insulating them from loss, but they're not going to allow you a whole lot of growth. One other option, and this one can be a little bit controversial, but it's worth investigating, is the possibility of doing what's called an in-service rollover of a portion of your 401k into a self-directed IRA. Very simply, what this means is. Most plans, especially the larger plans, will allow you at some point, typically 59 and a half or later, to have the option of rolling some of your assets out of the 401k plan while you're still working. Now, you'll still continue to contribute to the 401k. You don't lose access to the 401k, but it allows you to carve some of that money out to move into a self-directed IRA. Now, the strategy is not without its risks, and there are a number of moving parts, so I'd highly recommend that you seek some professional advice prior to making any decisions. But one of the benefits of rolling some of your 401k into an IRA is that in an IRA, you have access to investments and products that are not typically offered in traditional 401ks. One of the most valuable strategies as we hit our retirement max Q, if you will, that is not available in most 401ks is leveraging something called a fixed index annuity that offers a guarantee against loss while continuing to provide an opportunity for growth, and in some cases, guaranteed growth. It's kind of funny. I I received an email a few weeks ago from a listener that mentioned that I sure seem to love annuities. And he wasn't intending to be mean or anything, but it got me to thinking. And I'm not sure I'd say that I love annuities, 
but I certainly appreciate them in the right circumstances. I, I, I guess you could probably say that I do. I love annuities in the same way a mechanic loves a screwdriver. You need the right tool for the right job. And when you're looking to de-risk during the critical decade or the fragile decade, annuities can be one of your best tools in your toolbox. The job we're looking to complete here, first and foremost, is, hey, let's not lose value. Secondarily, let's find a way to generate some principal protected growth, and in some cases, guaranteed growth. Now, no other vehicle that I'm aware of combines a guarantee against loss while allowing you an opportunity to continue to grow your portfolio. I guess I guess CDs might be in there or some very, very few other options. But these, these particular products, these annuities, are purpose-built exactly for this. They're there to help you transition from retirement into retirement. And they're built around generating these income streams. A side benefit of a guaranteed approach is that with your number guaranteed, in other words, with that $4,000 a month that we need to guarantee, with that number covered, we can look at the rest of our retirement portfolio, the rest of the assets left in our 401k, and maybe go a little bit more aggressive with that balance. What this ends up doing is continue to allow you to build, to, to have a growth portfolio and you've carved out what you're going to need for your income portfolio. And and I know a lot of the folks have heard me say this before, but there are horses for courses. And this is that plow horse running the Kentucky Derby example. You don't want your plow horse trying to compete in the Kentucky Derby. You want the plow horse money or your income money set aside, getting ready to generate your income in retirement. Now, with what this strategy allows you to do is to let your racehorse get in there, let the thoroughbred get in there and continue to run. So you're really not giving when it's all said and done. The net net is you're really not giving up much. All you've done is carve some out, gone really conservative with it. So, you know, it's going to be there when you retire. But that's also empowered you to go a little bit more aggressive with the money you leave behind because, you know, you're not going to need those assets for a number of years down the road. Going into retirement max Q, determine your number, calculate how much your portfolio needs to be de-risked, and invest the rest appropriately. Once again, calculate how much of your portfolio, let's say you have a million and a half dollars sitting there, and you need to carve out 750000 to put into these guaranteed vehicles. Carve out that seven fifty, put it into your your future income category, your plow horse category, and then set that set remaining 750 and turn that into your thoroughbred. That's your growth money. And then the rest of it is taken care of. Now let's consider what to look at once you move into the five years after retirement. Well, if we've done a good job of setting up the first five years, the pre-retirement years, this part of the equation should be simple. Once you move into retirement, simply convert your de-risk assets into a guaranteed income stream to cover your number and let your thoroughbred assets, your growth assets, continue to grow. As usual, there is a lot more detail involved in actually implementing these strategies, and we don't have the time to dive into all the possible variables. But here's the bottom line. Keep the fragile decade concept in mind, but don't get too locked into exactly five years before and exactly five years after. If you have a good idea of when you're going to retire, 
and what your number looks like. Take action to protect those assets, even if you're seven or ten years out. Let's say you've done a great job of saving, and you've done a great job of planning, and you know you're going to need that $4,000 a month, inflation-adjusted, in, let's say, seven years or ten years. Don't wait to five years to de-risk it. What you may want to do is de-risk those assets right then. That's going to take a load off your shoulders. And then it's also going to empower you to race that thoroughbred for even longer. So make that decision at that seven or 10 year point, wherever it happens to be. In other words, if you have the assets now that you need to guarantee your income in retirement, set those aside and de-risk them. If, on the other hand, you're running behind in your savings, you may need to continue to expose your assets to a higher risk in order to get the desired returns. Just be realistic. Your potential outcomes could be good or they could be less than good. It may work out just fine. But you could also run into a 2022 that pushes your your retirement or your target date back a year or two. Either way, just make sure you're moving into retirement max Q with a plan in place. Do it on purpose. Too many folks leave it up to chance, and and unfortunately, it doesn't work out real well for them. Well, with that, we're about out of time. And once again, I can't thank you enough for investing the time to join me. And, And please let me know your thoughts and your suggestions and any questions you might have by sending them directly to me at dave at retirementwellcrafted.com. That's dave at retirementwellcrafted.com. Till the next time, I wish you all the best. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. This material is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Always consult with the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decisions. Any indexes mentioned are unmanaged statistical composites and cannot be invested into directly. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. ONTAP Credit Union and Investment and Retirement Center located at ONTAP Credit Union are not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. Registered representatives of LPL offer products and services using Investment and Retirement Center located at ONTAP Credit Union and may also be employees of ONTAP Credit Union. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of ONTAP Credit Union or Investment and Retirement Center located at ONTAP Credit Union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by NCUA or any other government agency, not credit union guaranteed, not credit union deposits or obligations, may lose value. (music) 